You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Joel Snibson. Hi there, my name's Lawrence and I'm bringing the word of the Lord today from Exodus 15, the song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers have drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew them with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who amongst the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord until the people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, have you been at the footy? It's the last quarter and the team lately, Collingwood, has come from behind, out of nowhere, snaps a few goals, and the sirens yet to sound, but with only 40 seconds to go, the crowd smells victory and becomes ecstatic and breaks out in singing the club's song. And the Collingwood chant becomes deafening and it rings around the ground. My head's in my hands, yet again the result's certain. They are victorious. We are defeated. Have you had a moment where you've just had to break into song, where you're so overflowing with excitement and joy, your only reasonable response is to sing? Well, with church no longer at the centre of our society, other than sport, 
The only other time where we have community-wide joyful singing is Christmas. People who never step foot into church will gather with friends with Santa hats on and join in and singing favourite Christmas carols at the My Music Bowl or our amazing community carols. And like the delirious crowd singing before the final siren, our songs can be responses to our circumstances or moods, whether it's expressing joy or feeling or desiring love, rage at injustice or just being misunderstood. Music speaks to the mismatch between our hopes and dreams and the reality of our lives. When logic and reason has limits, music steps in. But sometimes our songs can shape our circumstances. Living in Brisbane, I would take the ferry and the bus to the head office. It was a really nice way to start the day. And I started listening to worship music on the way to work. And I noticed that the days that I did, my mood was better. I had more resilience for challenging people or situations. If I didn't listen, I would get annoyed by 10 a.m. But if I listened to worship music, I would stay positive to lunchtime. See, the words of these songs and the amazing harmonies literally strengthened me for the day. Well, approaching Christmas, today we begin our new Advent series called Songs of Salvation. And today we just heard the Song of the Sea from Exodus 15. And this is the, one of the most significant songs in the Old Testament. Miriam, she takes a timbrel, which is like a tambourine, and leads the women in singing and dancing, and in excitement, repeat the song again from verse 1. And whether this is the men singing and the women responding in parts, or that Miriam and the women are so moved that they just repeat the song, what's clear is that all of Israel are caught up in wonder and joy and their only reasonable response is to sing. Well, let's reflect on this song. As Christians, why do we sing? Well, they sing about God's salvation. Our passage starts with then and it points us to what happens before. God's people, Israel, were created to enjoy rest in God's presence. But in reality, they were being oppressed as slaves in Egypt under King Pharaoh. After their leader Moses negotiated on their behalf, Pharaoh finally let them go, but then changes his mind and pursues them with a mighty army, cornering them in at the edge of the sea. This seems dire. Would Israel be wiped out here? See, all of God's promises are on the line. If you've seen Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments or The Prince of Egypt, you would have seen this remarkable moment. Moses with his hands stretched out with a strong wind, the Lord turns the sea into dry land and amazingly the Israelites went through on dry ground. Just imagine walking through with a wall of water on either side. And when Pharaoh's army followed them in with horses and chariots, the Lord brought the sea back over them. 
We cannot overstate how epic this nation-defining moment was. Despite the dire circumstances, God powerfully and graciously saved his people against the odds. Notice who is the focus of this song. Well, in chapter 14, Moses is central. His hand raised over the water. Now he's not even mentioned. In verse 6, your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In this song, there's no uncertainty. This is an this epic moment. Yahweh alone is behind saving them. God is the hero. And their only reasonable response is to sing about what God has just done. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Verse 13 sings about a redeemed people. This word describes an economic transaction. It's language about buying or purchasing slaves. The Lord has lovingly bought slaves to himself. So how does God redeem them from their slavery? In Well, this song, we see that God powerfully uses his creation to redeem them. Some background here. Well, seas was the place of most fear for Israel. They were definitely land lovers and God saved them through what they feared the most. And it's confronting language here, drowning their enemy, the Egyptian army. In verse 5, the deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. See, the language deep waters covering them is a vivid image of creation in Genesis 1 verse 2. So this epic moment in the Red Sea was like God's recreation, again taming the chaotic waters like at the beginning. When God redeems, he brings his broken creation back in line with his purposes. God saving his people to no longer be slaves, but to be part of his purposes in the world. Well, notice AFL clubs only sing their club song when they're victorious. This song is about God defeating their enemy. Look to verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. This song describes their warrior God completely destroying their enemy. Just think about nation-defining events. September 11, 2001. Gallipoli. All the conflict going on in Russia and Ukraine. Israel and Gaza. Sadly, nation-defining moments where the identity of the nation is on the line often involves war and bloodshed. Look to verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. This is vivid, graphic descriptions of God drowning his enemies. And it's being celebrated with great joy. With all the wars going on right now, we might feel this is a bit wrong. But an important question is, who was their enemy? The situation was, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had enslaved them with unspeakable injustices 
oppressing them. And now he was about to kill them. This was not a fair match. Think of the strongest year 12 bloke taking on the weakest of preps. God's people were small in number and his slaves were completely powerless. They were known as the weakest among the nations. And then there's Egypt with a vast army and incomparable strength. Numerous chariots, strongest warriors, and they're all coming at them to kill them. And God's people could have been completely wiped out in this moment. And with this ridiculous mismatch of strength, God is present and fighting on their side. Pharaoh opposing God's people was opposing God and faced his burning anger. And as promised, the Lord fights for them. And while they are trapped and crippled with fear and facing their towering enemy and certain death, in this epic moment, it transforms everything to uncontainable joy because God has literally moved the seas to save them when all the circumstances were stacked against them. They sing about God's incomparable power, that what God has done, but also who he is. To verse 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. See, in Exodus, with the nations looking on, there's a massive question about who is the true king? Some arrogant ruler of Egypt or Yahweh, the creator and ruler of everything. And in this epic moment, the nations watching on with their popcorn, there's no comparison. Only one is majestic and awesome and glorious. And as the Lord takes on Pharaoh, it's over before it began. But the idea of God as warrior can make us uncomfortable, particularly seeing all the confronting collateral damage of war on our TVs. Living in Australia, we don't feel the urgency or need for justice in this way. Trigger warning. The reality of specific enemies kidnapping, raping, torturing, murdering our loved ones isn't our daily experience. There are Christians right now who are persecuted and not free. Just one month ago in the De Democratic Republic of Congo, they are reeling after 39 Christians in the town of Okia, including children, were killed by a group linked to Islamic State. We should pray for God's swift justice against their oppressors, and this is a godly thing to do. If our God doesn't justly deal with evil and those perpetrating it, surely he is not worthy of our song. Some try and explain this warrior God language away by pitching the God of the Old Testament who destroys enemies against the God of the New Testament who's all about love. Friends, we worship the same unchanging God who annihilates his enemy. The question is, who is our enemy? Front of mind, we might think of actions of leaders or nations around the world. Maybe you're thinking about that person at work or in moments we can be shocked by our sin, realizing maybe we are the enemy in some situations. 
Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus, our warrior God, has defeated our true enemy, Satan, sin and death. And we sing because our enemy has been completely, unequivocally defeated. But we don't fully experience this all now. As God's redeemed people, there is still a present struggle and it feels like we're wandering in the desert. They sing about God's presence. In the NIV translation, verses 1 to 12 sings about the past, how God had just saved them. And verses 13 to 17 describes what God will do in the future. And just like the jubilant crowd singing before the final siren is even blown, how can their song be so confident about the future? Or in verse 13, God will guide his redeemed people to his holy dwelling. It's a wonderful image of a shepherd leading his flock that he loves to safety. What's this dwelling? Well, some say it's when Moses goes up the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God's presence comes down in a cloud and thunder and lightning, and he gives them the Ten Commandments about how to live. This dwelling could also be the tabernacle or temple. In Exodus 40, God's presence filled the tabernacle so they can meet with God. And whether it's Moses mediating up the mountain or the temple priests mediating offerings for an undeserving people to enter God's presence, either way, this future dwelling is God's presence continuing with them. As they joyfully sing about their Saviour and King, it gives them much confidence that God is present with them and into the future. And in all the uncertainty, but they are gloriously safe to what? Wandering in the desert. This is a massive anticlimax. This song of Yahweh's victory is for all seasons of their lives. This song was to be in the hearts of coming generations to remember this epic moment, giving hope in difficult circumstances. Notice the descriptions of the nations in verses 14 to 16. There seems to be a mismatch between what happens next in the Bible. Eden doesn't quake in its boots. In numbers, Israel does. Moab doesn't tremble, but in fact, seduces Israel to idolatry. See, these references weren't about initial encounters, but where they were headed with God. This song is sung from God's perspective, from his bird's eye view, transcending their daily struggles in the desert. And God is with them every step of the way, leading them to his dwelling. So why do we sing? This Christmas, we joyfully sing carols about Jesus, our creator, who entered his creation to be present with us. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, our warrior God has completely destroyed our enemy, redeeming us from slavery of Satan, sin and death. And this epic moment of salvation, Jesus leads us into God's presence, making us 
his new creation to join his song as the Holy Spirit recreates parts of our broken lives to join God's purposes before a watching world. We sing because Jesus is with us. We sing confident in the worst of circumstances that Jesus will certainly lead us home to God's dwelling place. Yet this song about God's presence was not only for Israel, but for the nations. Notice how the nations trembled, were filled with terror as words spread about this saviour and king. They rightfully feared that God is God and they are not and their gods were not. This song was sung before a watching world and describing this warrior God who destroys Israel's enemy Egypt isn't the whole story. In God's bigger bird's eye view, they were saved to bless the nations. This moment of uncontainable joy would be for God's future purposes for the nations to also join their song. As Christians, why do we sing? Last week, Tim said that we absorb ourselves into God's story and we sing our story. We are blessed with great musicians leading us in worship each week. And let's honour Sue, who leads this valuable ministry. But honestly, many of you have strong views when it comes to music at church. This is shaped by our, uh, our musical preferences, your generation, church backgrounds and traditions, our personalities. We feel strongly about songs from formative moments in our faith journey. And we have the Psalms, an entire book of the Bible devoted to singing, giving God's people voice to emotions and truths for a variety of circumstances in life's journey. Yet just as the ecstatic footy crowd bursts into joy, focusing on the victory won for them, likewise, there's a self-forgetfulness in this song of salvation. Our sinfulness causes us to automatically focus on ourselves. But focusing on this epic saving moment shifts our attention to God's might, worthiness and glory. At St John's, we always include songs that are God-centred and Jesus-centred. There was a period in the 90s where worship music was mainly love ballads about God, where you could replace Jesus with given boyfriend or partner's name, and it sounded like every other ballad on the radio. Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. I like this song. And it's right that our worship expresses our deep love and intimacy to God. But what is the basis of our love? Israel's song here isn't a generic love song, but overflows about God's epic, historic, saving moment, freeing God's weak people and changing the world since. We sing about who God is and what he has done. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
Have you been so excited and grateful that you just had to sing? And has the message of Jesus been this reason? Where your only reasonable response is to sing about the greatness of who Jesus is and what he has done. This song was passed down through the generations wandering in the desert. The reality is that Israel continued to face moments being overwhelmed by enemies. They continued to be crippled with fear when circumstances seemed bigger than God. Their hearts got distracted from their saviour and king who ruled their circumstances and in our journey we are often the same. While we worship an incomparable God, each day we're bombarded with temptations to make other things in our lives king, competing for our loyalty. Sometimes I don't feel like singing praises to God. Sometimes I'd rather be doing something else. Sure, our songs together sometimes don't meet our personal circumstances. You may need to lament and grieve to God, and sometimes it's really difficult to praise God, and that's okay. But often, it's because I'm so consumed in my circumstances and my worries that my mind is just focused on Ben getting bang out there and handling things in my own strength. See, it's not enough to only sing to reflect our circumstances or moods. But singing about what Jesus, our Saviour and King, has done when we're weak and powerless takes us beyond reflecting our circumstances or mood, but defining our circumstances. Like what happened to me as I listened to worship music going to work. It exchanges our small perspective with God's larger bird's eye view, not ignoring our circumstances, but confident in Jesus' presence who's with us in the struggle and we can be thankful when it doesn't make sense. This, in this song of the sea isn't just a relic, but a wonderful example for us to keep on singing about God's salvation. In verse 21, Miriam and the women repeated this song. God's epic salvation in Jesus is to be continually celebrated and repeated. In all our uncertainty and fears and with what all that's going on in our world and lives, the reason we keep on coming here each week is to sing, reminding each other of God's continued presence with us. God's purpose for our worship goes beyond mu music. It's, it's true. Overflowing into all of our lives, at work, with friends, at home. But as we worship and sing and connect with God's presence, in this moment, we have been completely, authentically human as we glorify God who has created us and redeemed us. As we set our hearts on things above there's a freedom in forgetting ourselves in God's presence. Once slaves, but now encountering true rest. Very practically, this Christmas, invite your friends along to our community carols on December 17th. A moment where our community will join our song about who Jesus is and what he has done. And no matter what's going on for you this Christmas, Sing, 
because Jesus has saved you, a weak and undeserving person. Sing because Jesus' presence is with us. As I was travelling to work, I got to know a lady who also took my boat and bus journey. She was from another department of the same company. And seeing me enjoy the music each day, she asked, what are you enjoying there so much? And I mentioned it's gospel music and she said, oh, I love gospel music. She doesn't go to church. She didn't identify of having faith, but she loved the joy of gospel music. And as we continued to share to and from work, it turned out she was the editor of our staff magazine and ended up doing a piece about my faith and the work my church was doing in the community serving meals to the poor. Consequently, some from our company joined us on mission reaching those in need. Friends, we have a song to sing and it's not only for us. May our songs about Jesus, our Saviour and King, not only speak to the mood of our world, but also transform it as they join our song. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.